Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on March 14th, Lord's Day service. Hebrews chapter 12, we'll read the first six verses. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves... He chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Let's pray. Our Father and God, you are gracious, merciful, full of compassion. You never fail your people. We thank you for this and we thank you for giving us your living and eternal word. May we now receive the word May it grant in our hearts new life, persevering, enduring, and sustaining life. Through Christ we pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the first phrase of Hebrews chapter 12 where he says, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And we looked at the need to remember those who have gone before us and how they offer encouragement to us in our race. And we are actually exhorted to look at those witnesses. And they're given to us in Hebrews 11 as the end of a long series of arguments that the writer of Hebrews is making on the need to persevere, which is all of what the book of Hebrews is about. Saying you don't have to go back to the former way, to to, to your old ways of the Jewish practice, of old covenant practice. You can let that go because now you have a greater way. You have the way of Christ. But we don't only look at the people in the past as examples. We are called in the midst of this race that we are running to look to Jesus. In the middle of this warfare in which we are engaging, we look to Jesus. The emphasis of Hebrews 12 is becoming disciplined in the way an athlete would discipline himself for a competition. Verse 1 speaks of running a race. Later on, we read 
in verse 4, he talks about resisting unto blood, which refers to a soldier who is fighting an enemy. In this case, the enemy he's talking about is the sin and evil. Everybody likes the Christianity that's full of blessing and banquet. We love Easter. We love Christmas. We love celebrating, feasting, rejoicing, and those are great things. But you cannot enjoy those blessings without going through the trials as well. We know we're called to be soldiers. But the call to being a soldier can be sometimes romanticized until the actual fighting starts. And then when you lose friends, when you lose a job, when you are you know, discredited in one way or another, when, when, when people turn their backs on you that you thought were faithful friends, not because you were a jerk, but because you were simply holding on to what God's Word has taught ever since there has been the Word. And you say, why is this happening? At that point, it's not fun anymore. The wonderful idea of being the soldier is great when you're reading about somebody else. But martyrdom, it's a different story when it's me. Then the natural effects of the fall come and discouragement takes residence in the halls of your mind. Christian warfare doesn't look so pleasing anymore. But we are called to a life of discipline, whether we like it or not. The warfare is going to come. The trials are going to come. You're going to face temptations and trials, and it doesn't matter how prepared you are. They're going to happen. But the way that you prepare now will determine how you respond then. Because when those trials come, it's not just that you're going to say, this is difficult, but I'm going to keep on walking in a godly way. No, you all know, when, when you are under stress, what shows up? All those ugly tendencies that you thought were not a problem. You see sin, if you're honest, and if you're willing your family can really see sin in you when you're under those times. We're called to lay aside weighty sin. He says that in verse 1, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. If you've ever done any distance running, I try to keep away from that now when I can, but you know it never starts pleasantly. If you've not ran before and then you take it up, you discover, I'd rather watch this with a bag of chips. <laughs> you have to pace yourself when you start. No one walks out of their house with a brand new pair of tennis shoes and exercise shorts and runs 13 miles or 26 miles. You have to start small. But now imagine 
going outside and running with a couple of 10-pound weights in each hand and then weights strapped to your chest and then weights on your legs and running not just 10 miles, let's just say five, two. How easy is that going to be? Part of our training is putting off these weights. What the Apostle Paul in another place calls the old man so that we can follow Christ. After reminding us that we are surrounded by witnesses, we are told to lay aside these things. That lay aside the sin which drags us down. Our race is long. We're in this for life and there is no quick way out. And sometimes when we're facing a particular weakness, and in this passage in particular, he is addressing the, a specific sin. This is not just, you know, fill in your, your pet sin and apply it, although that, that can be, and we should lay aside whatever it is that we struggle with. But the heart of our sin is unbelief, and that's the sin he's talking about here, is the sin of unbelief. And you can see that from the previous chapters in Hebrews. But we can think sometimes, okay, all I have to do is just confess. Once I see this, I can confess it one time, and then I'm free. I just repent, turn, and that's it. And that's great until the next time you fall. And you say, well, it was a one-time thing, and that's it. So now, I'm on the way. Then you fall again. And you fall another time, and you start to think, I'm not very good at this. In fact, perhaps I'm not, I'm not going to accomplish, I, I will not see victory here. But that is what the Christian life is about. It's a life of daily repentance. You can't simply, as we used to do, I will say, from memory in Christian camp, write out whatever your pet sin is when you're by the campfire on a little piece of paper and fold it up and throw it in the fire and then poof, it's gone. Oh, if it were like that. But it's not. It's a life of every day waking up with trust in God, praying for grace when you fall, not if, when. You fall, you confess and repent and move on. Laying aside our sin is every day. It's a choice we must make every day. Don't think, do not ever think that you are identified by your sin and weakness. Because that's not who you are. That is a lie that we are told, even sometimes, depending on who you listen to among some in the church, they would say that you are a blank Christian. But Paul says specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he lists all these different sins that he said, people who do this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he goes on to say then, 
Such were some of you. Past tense. Does that mean that those Christians no longer face these sins? Of course not. Because if you read in 1 Corinthians, you see the sins that they were facing. But Paul writes to the same people who were struggling, who were facing particular sins, and he addresses these sins head on. He says, you were this, but now you have a new name, you have a new identity, and that identity is you are a child of God. You are under the head of the living Christ. So that's not who you are. So do not assume the identity of a particular sin. Because the Spirit of God reigns in you. How then do we put off these weights and run? Well, that's what this chapter is about. But before we can talk about the discipline, which we'll hopefully look at in the future, uh, a future week, we have to start in one place. And that is looking unto Jesus. previous chapter gave us examples of people like you and me who followed God faithfully to the end. And after talking about all those people who, you know, sometimes they would fall and we, we can read about how they would fall, but then the Lord raised them up and they were able to continue. After that, He gives us not an example of someone who fell but still persevered. He gives us an example of the one who never fell. He calls us to fix our eyes on the living Christ. The name Jesus here, when he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, reminds us of His human nature. He is the example. He is our prince, our captain, the pioneer of our faith. That's what the word author here means. He is the one who has gone before us. He has already blazed the trail. He has made known to us the way to walk. That's how He is the author of our faith. His faith was not merely a mental ascent. It was something that was accompanied by demonstration of obedience. He walked the road and completed it. He finished the race. Now our temptation can be, when we look at the life of Jesus, we can think, yeah, of course He did. He's God. If I was God, I could do that. But when we, when we adopt that mindset, we're actually minimizing the human nature of Christ. As if He didn't really face the agony of the trials. He faced trials. He faced temptations, not only at the cross, but He faced them throughout His life. And he overcame them. That's what makes him the author and the finisher of our faith. So let's unpack this a bit further. When you're running a long distance, there is a time when you will get tired, weary, and you'll want to quit. No matter how experienced you are, 
pushing longer than you're accustomed to starts to hurt after a little bit. So in order to make it through, you must have a goal in mind. Maybe it's three miles, five miles. Maybe it's just to the top of the hill. Regardless, when you are pushing, knowing the end is helpful. Throughout our Christian lives, we are pushed. So when we are pushed, when we feel like we can't go further, but we know we have to, we lay aside the weight of sin in exchange for the weight of glory. Jesus faced pain, not only in the crucifixion, but as I said, throughout His life, He faced discouragement, fatigue, hunger. He was tempted in all areas like us. His crucifixion was the worst trial any human ever had to or ever will have to endure. It was torture, physical torture, mental and emotional torture, and even spiritual torture in His separation in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was looking into the jaws of the agony he was just about to endure. But he went willingly. He endured taunts, both human and demonic. He faced insults and shame, and worst of all, he faced the perfect wrath of God the Father on the cross. No man before or after was ever deserving of God's wrath. Was, excuse me, was ever undeserving of God's wrath. Nor had any man ever received the full wrath of God on behalf of countless others. But Jesus did. How could He endure such things? It says, because of the joy set before him. The end was in his mind. He was pursuing something of glory, of joy, and he kept that before him. The joy of God's glory. Jesus is now seated at the Father's right hand. Having completed the task, he blazed the trail perfectly. So we, if we're going to finish the task, we must lay aside every weight, the weighty sin that slows us down, and we must also look to Jesus and the joy that awaits us. Our joy here in this life is always mixed with a little bit of sorrow. No matter what you enjoy right now, you know that it will not last. There's always the weeds and the thorns that are trying to come. They're trying to assert themselves. We've never experienced absolute perfect joy. We've experienced glimpses, hints 
of something that we know is greater. But never perfect. Never absolute. In that sense, the season of Lent is a picture of our lives. It is sober joy with the absolute joy of the resurrection at the end. So what does this mean for us right now? Let me ask you a simple question. Does the life of Christ occupy your thoughts? The word look here, when he says looking unto Jesus, it's not a, it doesn't mean a casual glance and then turning away. It means to fixedly look. It means to, to make your gaze firm. Whatever happens around you. It's like Peter. When Jesus told him to walk, to, and when Jesus was walking on the water, and Peter said, Lord, command me to come, and Jesus called him to come, and then Peter started to, to walk out, and he was able to walk on the water for a time. He had to keep his eyes fixed on the Savior. That's us. And just like Peter, it's also us when we take our eyes off and we fall. And he's right there to pick us up. I hate to say it, Christian. You will never keep your eyes firmly on the Savior all the time. We should strive to. It should be our goal, but it will not happen. But when you take your eyes off and you start to fall, He is there. He does not leave. Your salvation is not tied to your ability to keep your eyes on Christ. Praise the Lord for that. Your salvation is tied to the faithfulness of God Himself. That's it. That's it. That's the faith we need. It's His faith. That's the faith He gives us. Meditate on the life of Jesus. Think about the things that He did. About the things that He went through. Do you want to know how to become more like Christ? Look to Christ. Think about what He did. Think about His work. How did He walk in this life? What did He do? This is what our life should be. This is what we should look like. Looking to Christ in faith is how we are transformed. Because one day we're told by the Apostle John, we will be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. This is the goal of the Christian life. It's what the saints of old called the beatific vision. Seeing Jesus. We prepare for that now by looking to Him. When our trials are at their worst, 
when we struggle with looking at ourselves, at our sins, at our problems. We can either become cast down, we either feel, start to feel sorry for ourselves, which is a normal, not okay, but it's normal. We all know what self-pity feels like. We look around and we see what looks like others doing much better. And we start to grumble. Or, when we look around and we see that others are not doing as well and we can start feeling pretty good. There's a reason why God did not make our arms easily able to pat ourselves on the back. That's a gift. We will not lay aside our sins if our vision is filled with ourselves. If I'm looking at me, or I'm looking at other people for my justification, or I'm looking at other people and feeling like I'm worse because I don't match up to this person or that person, if my vision is filled with myself, I can't be transformed. Not only is Jesus the captain of our salvation, He is the one who strengthens our faith. He gave us the example of faith and He strengthens our faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. We all face the temptation to unbelief. Everything that I've talked about this morning is something that I have experienced. And I'm especially talking about walking in self-pity. I wish I could say it's something... I remember doing that a few years back. It's more like I remember doing that this week. So don't look ultimately to me as the example here. Don't even look to the elders as the example here, look to Jesus. Sometimes we're tempted to give up. But no matter where you are or what you've done, whatever sin you're caught in, whatever you're facing, whatever degree of discouragement when you feel like that the water is just about to go totally over your head, Say what the man said when he came to Jesus. Lord, help my unbelief. That's the cry of the greatest saint. As we face our trials and sins now, He will strengthen us for the race. Then we will run into another hard period later on down the road, and He will lead us through more growth. And the cycle will continue. And while we are growing in the discipline of grace, we will become more like Christ. This would be pretty discouraging if we, when we think about our lives being filled with trials and being filled with times of discipline, unless we had one on whom we could look. But let us fasten our eyes 
on Jesus. Yes, look to the people who have gone before as godly examples, but look most of all to Christ. Fasten your eyes on Jesus that we might finish the race and win the glorious crown prepared for His saints. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to You as beggars, but we come in faith, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Help us to remember the joy that You have set before us and grant us faithful perseverance. Through Jesus our Lord, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. <laughs>